Hey guys, it's Ryan. Thanks for tuning into Theology-ish. Before we jump in, I just want to emphasize that the discussions on this podcast are exploratory in nature and delve into a variety of theological perspectives. They do not strictly represent or define our personal stances on the faith nor the doctrine of our affiliated churches. We encourage listeners to reflect, question, and seek guidance from their local church leaders. Our goal is to foster understanding and curiosity. We ask that you listen with a humble and discerning mind. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Theology-ish. I am 50% of your hostage, William Barry. With me, as always, is the other 50%, Ryan Kelly. Is hostage a word? Sure, is now. Fair enough, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Hostage. How you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Sick. Any any fun life updates ever since you stopped being sick? No. the, The past month of my life was being sick and trying to stop being sick. Mm. I've been playing a lot of Minecraft lately, as I mentioned an episode or two ago. Yeah. Um, and I've got a, a pretty sweet village that I made Ooh. for villagers. Yeah. Um, my wife accuses me of being a despot, <laughs> a, a bit of a tyrant for my villagers. But who I'm, isn't? It's Minecraft. I'm not like treating them poorly. I, it's a very nice village. Yeah. I I have. It's, you just can't leave or eat food or breed without my permission. <laughs> Oh, they have several large gardens mm. that they are able to garden in. There's a lake for the fisherman villager to to fish at. Yeah, um, I I've got a pig pen and a sheep pen and a cow pen for the villagers. Yeah, so they they can have livestock. I treat my villagers good. You're a good village chief. I, yeah. There's a wall around the village that they, so they so they can't get out. It's kind of like a very nice prison actually. <laughs> but the wall is there to keep them safe. There are monsters out there. Zombies and skeletons, bro. It's true. Anyway, we're not this is not the the Minecraft podcast. This is a Maybe one day we'll do a Minecraft episode and theology get like Minecraft, Minecraft lore. Uh is it Wrong for Christians to play Minecraft in creative mode because they're uh, stealing God's glory <laughs> by having unlimited power. Is so. it wrong for Christians to respawn in Minecraft because returning from the dead is Christ's thing and to steal that from him is is heresy? Bro, resurrection's like a big thing for yeah, I know. for Christianity. <laughs> we we all get yeah. part. We get to partake in that later. Well, most of us at least. I well, hope. Um Holy Scripture says everybody gets resurrected, but only some of us are going to like it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so you might have a hard time when you get resurrected, which brings us to today's topic. <laughs> <laughs> oh no. Bad start. Bad start. <laughs> I thought that was a pretty good start. Today we're talking about uh well, we're not talking about. We're kind of talking to. Yeah. Kind of talking to uh some friends of Ryan's that are um shall we say unreligious. Yeah, so 
I wanted to do an episode that that sort of is a, a bit of an interreligious dialogue um, and get a an outsider's look into the church and to the Christian faith and how they perceive that and get some answers to some questions generally. So I did a little Q&A with a few of my, my good internet buddies who live over the ocean in Europe. Um, so I... I I had three friends for this focus group that I talked to. Small focus group, but that's probably good because if we had any more, this would take forever. I mean, it's going to take a long time anyway. Exactly. So um, I just kind of gave them a list of questions that they answered and got their opinions on some stuff and how they view some things. And I want this to be an opportunity for us to respond to those things. How do we, in turn, respond to that? Um, How do we feel about those answers? Uh, Generally, that kind of thing. Um, and we'll we'll see where conversation goes. Uh, William, I know you had a bit of a disclaimer you wanted to put. Yeah, I, I just want to throw this out there. Um, personally, I'm not particularly interested in interreligious dialogue. Um, I think that that is a good thing. That is a productive thing. I also think that it's important for us to know what our function in the body is. And I, I think of myself as, uh, I think I'm more of an internal component. Um, yeah. And my motivations tend to be from one Christian to other Christians. So I, I going into this, have zero expectation of convincing any atheists that they're wrong. And that's not what I'm going to try to do. Yeah. What I'm going to try to do is to respond to these questions respond to these answers um, on the behalf of my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ Mm -hmm. who might run into this kind of thing and scratch their head a little bit and get confused by it. Because sometimes atheists and agnostic people make points that seem like they might be right, and that can create problems for Christians. Um, I hope today to kind of poke my finger into these uh, responses of your friends— Mm-hmm. And with grace and love, show that they're not as good of points as they might think. Yeah, and you know, is that fair? You you yeah, get what I'm saying? And, you, you know, my, heart? my my intention with this as well is not to, you know, put this out there as an attempt to convert them and convince them they're wrong. Uh, yeah. As much as I would love to see them convert and become part of the uh, the body of Christ and be brothers and sisters with me in that way. I would, I would love that, uh, but I, there is only so much I can do. There's only so much you can do, and at the end of the day, it's a choice. It's their choice, and I can't force them to make a choice that isn't the one they want to make. Moreover, no one comes to the Father except he be called by the Spirit. Yes, that is uh, something that they will have to work through themselves if they want to, and if Christ compels them to to join the church. If Christ compels <laughs> That Hulk that Hogan is for is, Christ uh, and not for me. Hulk Hogan is yeah. Christian. Uh, Kat Von Dean, do you remember the show L.A. Inc.? No, or like Miami Inc. on like TLC. It was like Mm-mm. tattoo shops. I'm familiar with shows like it. Okay, yeah, it was a show about a uh, tattoo shops. Kat Von Dean, who was like the main person in one of those. I think it was Miami Inc. Okay. Anyway, she recently converted. Mm. Welcome, Kat. We've been expecting you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, um, I also just want to put forward a little disclaimer before we get started, which is that uh, we might make the occasional joke or poke fun at 
some of these answers or at my friends, I want to be very, very clear. These are jokes. They are nothing more than jokes. I do want to treat this very seriously. I love my friends, and I want to treat their answers very seriously. Uh, and disclaimer for me, these ain't my friends. So, <laughs> <laughs> but they're my friends. So I'm, I'm gonna try to be nice. I'm gonna I'm gonna try. To yeah, be nice. but it, you know, if we say something that sounds kind of mean or like we're not taking this seriously, we're joking. It's it's well, for fun. And and um, if Christianity is true, this is the most important thing in the world. Okay. So C.S. Lewis quote there. Oh, is that a C.S. Lewis? Yes. Uh, one of Lewis's most famous quotes is, uh, I might be misquoting this a little bit, but uh, if Christianity is true, it is the most important thing that ever existed. And if Christianity is not true, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So um, I believe that it is true. And therefore, this is the most important thing in existence. And with that in mind, these answers that I give to the replies are going to sound harsh. And they're going to sound harsh because this matters. And it matters enough that we can't afford to uh, beat around the bush. And also, we're trying to keep this within an hour. So I can't waste time qualifying things about to make it sound nice when uh, we got to get to it. So... With all of these things said and uh, 10, 15 minutes wasted on us, disclaimering. It's not even nine minutes yet. Oh, great. Well, let's get to it. But Yeah, so let's, uh, let's just jump off the bat by introducing our sort of guests, I guess you might call them. Um, like I said, I've got three friends in Europe who I know through the internet who I, I did this little Q&A with. So they have given me permission to use their names. Their names are Alex, Clemen, and Chloe. Um, so those are going to be our three, our three Q and A guests. Uh, obviously, we don't have them on here as much as I would be interested to potentially have an actual conversation. Uh, this is a lot easier than having three guests on the podcast, so we're doing this instead. So. All three of them describe themselves, in their own words, because I asked, as vaguely agnostic. Um, Alex kind of said he almost leans a little bit more atheist than agnostic, but still vaguely agnostic. So all three of them are more or less agnostic. That makes sense. That, that good. Uh, do you want to tell us what agnostic means, William, for those who might not yeah. know? Because... I feel like some people often think that atheist and agnostic are more or less the same thing. Um, a big part of religion is praxis, and on the praxis side of things, being atheist and agnostic is the same. Um, so the atheist says, there is no God. The agnostic says, maybe, but I don't know if there is, and if there might be, but I, how am I supposed to know which one? And therefore, the agnostic ends up choosing no god and functionally is the same thing as an atheist. They have a, a more open intellectual stance, but th their life and philosophical presuppositions are very similar to the atheist. Yeah. Technically different, but very similar. So yeah. there you go. Now— to give a little bit of background on them and where they're coming from, uh, as far as like their upbringing and stuff, uh, Chloe specifically grew up in the Catholic Church. 
her family are Catholic. She grew up in the Catholic Church. Um, she was baptized and went through confirmation, if I am not mistaken, uh, and then later in life decided to leave the church. And Technical term for this is apostasy. apostasy. Yeah, so yeah, she's an apostate. Technically speaking, yes. Yeah. Um, an apostate and an agnostic. Yes. Alex, I know his, to my knowledge, I might be wrong about this, but to my knowledge, his mother is or at least was part of the Catholic Church. And I know for a fact that his sister, his older sister, was baptized, like pedo-baptized at birth, but he was not. His mother, I know specifically, That's did what's not... wrong with him now? ...did not baptize him. <laughs> if his um, mom had gotten him dunked, he, he would, uh, he'd still be in the church. Maybe. Um, she, <laughs> she did not baptize him. I don't know if she is still part of the church or not, or if she had a falling out or what, but she did not pedo-baptize him uh, because she wanted it to be his choice. And to my knowledge, he grew up pretty much non, non-religious. He didn't really partake in religion uh, at large. And then, to the best of my knowledge, Clemen did not grow up in a religious family, did not partake in religion. Uh, maybe he has some religious family I'm not aware of, but to the best of my knowledge, non-religious family. That's, that's their upbringing. So Chloe, really, is the only one who grew up in a religious setting. Okay. Um, so that, that gives her a little bit of a different outlook to, to the others. So let's jump into this first question I asked, which is... Between the religion itself being, I said Christianity or a Christian-like religion such as Roman Catholicism. So, between is that between not those, Christian? Uh, it depends on who you ask. Well, if you say no, you're wrong. Yeah, they, but they count. Is it the religion or the people that more so drive them away from from Christianity or Catholicism or whatever? Is it the people or the religion? What I got from Chloe and Clement is that they're both pretty 50-50 split on it. That it's 50% the people and 50% the religion itself. Alex, on the other hand, gave me 70% the people and 30% the religion. So, with Clement and Chloe both being kind of 50-50 split on that, we could talk about that all day because, well, it's our fault, but it's also supposedly Christianity's fault that they don't like it. I'm more interested in Alex's answer. 70% the people and 30% the religion. That, that's interesting. What are, you, what are your, your, your thoughts on that? Just Oh, I'd, I'd need them in front of me to, to dig in. Mm-hmm. Um, Which I wish so, we could do. But um, Gandhi once famously said that he has no problem with the Christ. It's the Christians he doesn't like. Mm. Uh, except, except, Jesus and Gandhi ain't about the same thing. Yeah. Gandhi liked this made-up version of Jesus. That's like peace, love, hippie kind of Jesus. Mm-hmm. A toothless Jesus. He didn't actually like the Jesus that... We that's the historical Jesus. Sometimes people say the historical Jesus, and they mean that as like something different than what we have in the Gospels. Yeah, but we don't have any records of Jesus's teachings apart from the Gospels. Mm-hmm. So if you want the historical Jesus, you have to get it from the Gospels. Yeah, okay. And the Jesus in the Gospels, the historical Jesus says, 
I did not come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword that will divide fathers from sons, mothers from daughters, fathers-in-laws from sons-in-laws, brothers from brothers, sisters from sisters. Um, and he is that sword, right? Mm. And that's very much not something Gandhi would be about. Yeah. So, I wonder, with Alex... Is it the religion? Is it really seventy thirty, or is it his perception of the religion is very different than what the religion actually is? Okay, mm, that that's possible, I suppose. Because um, like, and this is a thing that I've noticed when talking to and engaging with atheists. Because I, I and I, I just want to throw this out there. I used to be kind of atheist, right? Yeah, and I've read some atheist stuff. I've read a bit of Dawkins. Uh, I've read a bit of the book uh, God is Not Good. I, I forget who he, he was. I've read a little bit from Stephen Hawking's. I've read a bit from Neil deGrasse Tyson. I've read Voltaire. I've read uh, the feminist scholar Rosemary Ruth Rutherford or whatever yeah. her name is. I've read John Shelby Spong. I've read the stuff. Yeah. Right? And almost unanimously, they misunderstand what the Christian thing is. Yeah. They don't get it. Um, so I wonder if we actually sat down with Alex over breakfast and chatted with him, if the more he learned about what Christianity is, if that number might go up, if he might find it more disagreeable the more he learned about it. Or maybe the other way. I don't know. Maybe, and I don't want to speak for him, and say that that is the case, because I don't know. Uh, it could be that it's just his perception, or maybe it genuinely is a 70-30 split on the people and Christianity. Yeah, maybe itself. he thinks Christians are buttholes, and that's fair, and man. All we've got is what he told us, so let's let's roll with, let's assume that what he said is the correct yeah. the correct thing. He It's genuinely a 70-30 split of the people and the religion. If it's 70% the people, how much of that is the fault of the people in his life that are Christian. So you're reading through Mere Christianity right now. I am. A book group with your church. Yes. Uh, there's this part in Mere Christianity where C.S. Lewis talks about how uh, a common critique of Christianity is how bad the people are. Mm -hmm. And he says, yeah, that's the point. <laughs> yeah. The point is that we are sinners, of course Christians are crapheads. Yeah. That's the point. And through the grace of Christ, we're given uh, the capacity to do something other than be awful. Yeah. So, I, sure, probably 70% of his interactions with Christians have been crappy. Yeah, Christians are crappy. That's the idea. Yeah, and so. it's one of those things for me where I look at it and say, okay, if it's only 30% Christianity, if the people in his life who identify as Christians were not as crappy, would he be able to look past that 30% of the religion itself he disagrees with, right? Because if it's only 30% the religion, that to me tells me there is at least some level of Christianity that he can agree with. Or that he does Maybe it's agree. not that he agrees with it. It's that he doesn't find it disagreeable. Does that mm. make sense? That's different. It's one okay, thing to be yeah, like, yeah. I hate this. It's another thing to be like, that's fine. But being like, that's fine doesn't mean that you're on board, right? 
He yeah. might not be 70% on board with the doctrine. He probably isn't. He just doesn't find it disagreeable. Yeah. You dig? Yeah, I can I can see where you're coming from. Um, that's that's fair. Let's let's keep going here. We've got a lot more questions to get through here. Um some of which I think are more interesting than this. Um yes. Let's see. Up next, I had the question, what part of Christianity specifically is hard for you to believe? What makes it so hard to buy into? So let's walk through these answers one by one and and kind of see where where things go. Alex gave us the response that he feels that science and re- religion can't seem to coexist. That there are too many wild, fantastical, magical, whatever stories within the Bible that are way too out there and far-fetched to exist in a world with science. Right? Science and the fantastical, magical, they don't, they don't line up. What is, what is the response to that? Because... As someone who grew up in the church and is Christian and buys into that kind of stuff, it's it's really easy for me to just say, well, they coexist because God made it that way. It just is. So I broke this one down to two things. Okay. The first thing, science and religion are incompatible. Would you say that's a fair summary? More or less. Um, and we need to define our terms— What does he mean by science? I'm less interested in what he means by science. I'm going to tell him what science means. (laughs) Okay? Because this is a problem for modern people, is that we say science, and we think that just means something in and of itself, and it doesn't. Yeah. Science is a particular methodology that we employ to observe current, present phenomena. Okay? Science is a method of recording and comparing data to measure current things that are happening in front of you. Mm-hmm. Okay? That's what science is. Now, religion as a category of thing is pretty broad. And there very well be many types of religion, because there are many types of religion out there. There are plenty of them that can't quite square with that scientific method. Yeah. I don't think that that's the case for Christianity. In fact, science as a method has been a pretty uh, devoted handmaiden to Christianity. Mm. The reason we have genetics as we have it is because a Christian monk, whose last name was Mendel, studied some green beans that he was growing. And he noticed something special about these green beans. He saw something that he could manipulate things. And he came up with pundit squares. And that's where genetics as a field of study came from. Okay? Yeah. Uh, Mechanical clocks, those were invented by monks. The Big Bang Theory, first proposed by a Catholic bishop. Science as a thing is not incommiserate with Christian religion. Yeah, the, they, they can uh, function together just fine. The Catholic Church invented the modern calendar, the Gregorian calendar, which yeah. is, by all accounts, the most accurate calendar that has ever existed. Now, I, I will say this. Uh, science and religion 
you might be able to say that they're incompatible, but they're incompatible in the same way that an HDMI cable and a garden hose are incompatible. They're <laughs> meant for, they're doing different things. Yeah. If you really try though, with enough adapters, you could make that work. But that's neither here nor there. Um I think that it is a problem that modern people take for granted that there's a thing we call science, and that thing that is science is infallible, and it's handed down to us by prophets wearing lab coats who make declarations about things, and that's science, but that's not how science works. Science is constantly being rewritten and reworked by these prophets in lab coats. They're constantly finding new things, and it's constantly changing and growing and evolving, right? And that's a different kind of thing than what Christianity be. Yeah. So uh, I, I think he's misunderstanding what science is. I think he thinks that science is like uh, a modern revelation, but it's mm. handed down by people in lab coats instead of by the voice of God. Mm. Right? That's how a lot of modern people treat science. Yeah. And that's not right. That's not how we should treat it. Um, there are certain shortcomings to science, as I've defined it, as a method of yes. observing and, and comparing, comparing data. data and tracking modern present phenomena. There are shortcomings to that. We can't reduce everything to data. Um, there are some things that are outside the realm of science, and we will never be able to do science on it. Yeah. Um, for example, you, in your eye, you have these things called rods and cones and the rods and cones let you see colors. Yep. And I think it's the rods and you have three rods and one detects like red, one detects blue and one detects yellow. And between those primary colors, you're able to see all the other colors. Okay. And the, you have those three special types of rods in your eye. And there's a type of critter named the mantis shrimp. Yep. And the mantis shrimp has 26 distinct types of rod in its eye science will never be able to tell us what the mantis shrimp sees it can't we can't reduce that to data and if mm -hmm. we could we don't have the physiological equipment to see what the mantis shrimp sees we can't do it yeah there's shortcomings to science there are things in the in the world that are real that science can't touch mm -hmm. so that's point one. Uh, also, uh, religion knows that its prophets are divinely inspired, or they might be insane and, and wrong. <laughs> yeah. Religion knows that and acknowledges it. But science only knows that their prophets have been peer-reviewed or their prophets are unemployed. Mm -hmm. That's all science can tell you, right? The scientist is not an infallible person. Yeah. The prophet's either infallible or insane. Yeah. Okay. So we, we just need to be clear on this. Jesus is either son of God or insane. Or absolutely nuts. The second point, uh, Alex says that Bible stories are too far-fetched. Right. Yeah. yeah, that's why we call them miraculous. That's why it's a big deal. Yeah. yeah it, it's You're right. It's nuts. That's why we make a big deal about it. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that as a Christian, you kind of just have to accept that that's how it is, right? Like, yeah, it's crazy. And uh, if you'd like to hear some stories about modern miracles, 
find someone that's been a missionary to somewhere in the southern hemisphere. Mm. Everyone I've ever known that has done that, they all have some stories. Yeah. So go talk to a missionary and see what they say. Yeah. Let's move on to Clement here, who I think poses an interesting argument, which is, he, he presents a couple, but the first of which is that morality and goodness coming only from God or only from your faith in God is objectively incorrect. That we as humans are born with an innate sense of morality and goodness, unless, you know, you're a psychopath and you don't have the capacity for that, because some people are born that way. And that's why we get stuff like serial killers who don't feel remorse for their actions, right? Most people are born with an inherent sense of good and bad, of morality and immorality. And he feels that the idea that that can only come from God is objectively just wrong. And given the face you're giving me, I feel like you've got something to say about that. I have several things to say. say I'm going to try to keep this short. I spent way too much time on that last one. <laughs> morality and goodness can only come from faith. That the morality and goodness can only come from faith is objectively incorrect. Objectively. Objectively. Huh. What's objective mean? Hmm. 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 You stroke that beard. Yeah. yeah. I, I'm not so sure. Uh, objective according to who? According to what metric? What do you mean objective? Because when we talk about morality, when we talk about ethics, mm -hmm. things start getting slippery because we have... Uh, there are breakdowns cross-culturally about what is good behavior. Mm -hmm. So the Spartans, it was virtuous for children in Sparta to steal yeah. and to lie and to be good at it because stealing and lying in times of war was helpful. Yeah. That's virtuous action for the Spartans. And then we have uh, certain tribes in parts of South America where it is virtuous to eat the people that you kill in war because otherwise you're wasting their body and that's disrespectful. So it is virtuous to be a cannibal. Yeah. Right? But objectively, objectively, according according to wit, which metric, it can't be social norms. We need some kind of objective metric to say that things are objective arbitrator. There has to be an arbitrator. So now this is something that Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis actually gets into at great length in the first uh in the first couple of chapters. Yeah. Uh which as you mentioned I'm just recently reading through and the the whole first couple of chapters of that book is literally him talking about quote unquote moral law and what that means and yeah. how we apply that to Christianity um, and realizing that morality comes from somewhere. It has to, objectively speaking. Lewis has a different work yeah. called The Abolition of Man, mm. um, which is not particularly religious. That's not his intention behind yeah. that particular work. It's just kind of about uh, how people be. And he talks a lot about universal morality. But, okay, so we're going to put a pin in that. Clement is right. That's why the Bible tells us that the law is written on our hearts so that no one has an excuse, right? Christ, 
God has put the law, the, the right thing to do, objective morality. He's put it in the human person. And sometimes that gets marred from cultural things, mm-hmm. like with the Spartans or with those uh, South American tribes that eat people. Sometimes those things get marred and twisted. But overall, we have a, a pretty straight line of what is considered right action across cultures. Okay? Yeah. And that right action, there's nothing about Christian morality that— uh, that conflicts with what is moral across cultural lines, right? It's yeah. hard. Sometimes you get weird stuff like that stealing thing in Sparta, but generally Christianity's a pretty good, uh, pretty good universal, pretty mm-hmm. good objective. Now, Christianity is not about being moral. Jesus Christ does not call Christians to be moral. He calls us to be holy. And Clement is right. Christianity is not the only thing that can teach us how to be good, air quotes, or moral, air quotes. But it is the only thing that can teach us holiness. Mm. Christianity can do that. Buddhism can't. Mm. So. Interesting. Let's uh, let's get into a second point, which is interesting. Um, he feels that the sheer amount of changes in Scripture and the faith over the centuries to where we are now makes it harder to believe. Mm-hmm. Because there have been different canons of Scripture. The different translations of Scripture can oftentimes read very differently and literally mean different things. There are people who interpret those different things very differently, even within themselves. How So given how much Scripture has changed since its inception and how much it has, it has changed in our, our perception and the way the inter- we interpret it, how do we, how do we trust it? How can we read Scripture in good faith knowing that it's not the same as it was 2,000 years ago? Uh, there's a thing going on there. Called begging the question, mm. which is where you ask a question that assumes the answer. Okay, so if I say to you, uh, "Have you stopped beating your wife yet?" <laughs> no, that's begging the question. If you say no, oh, so you beat your wife? If you say yes, oh, you used to beat your wife? It begs the question. So yeah. he's assuming that it is the case that Scripture and Christianity have changed. Now. Um, Dr. Daniel Wallace has done a lot of really good, really interesting work on textual variants in mm. Greek manuscripts. Um, if you're actually curious, you could look into his work. He has identified something to the tune of well over a million textual variants in the Greek manuscripts of the New Testament. And according to Dr. Wallace, there might be about five that have major theological implications. Yeah. A lot of them are word order or spelling. Okay? Mm. So a lot of times people that are critical of the Bible will point to the number of textual variants and say, look, it's different. Yeah. On the surface, but it's not really the same because in Greek, if you say, um, John loves Mary, 
you can say that phrase about 50 different ways yeah. in Greek, and it will always translate as John loves Mary. Yeah. Um, also, which changes to the religion? Because Justin Martyr tells us some stuff around the year 150 about the Holy Eucharist, about communion, and the Catholic Church in their most recent catechism quotes Justin Martyr at length because he was right and you don't need to add anything when the guy said it in 150 and he was right. Yeah. It's good. It's sufficient. It's like that, uh, what we talked about in the last episode where we have in 156 in Polycarp's martyrdom fairly clear Trinitarian confessions happening. Yeah. And then people go, oh, well, the Trinity is not a thing until uh, the fourth century. No, 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 no. Christianity didn't change. If you actually look at primary sources, you're going to find it's very, very, very similar. Occasionally, we get uh, some speed bumps where people like Martin Luther try to ruin everything. Um, but generally speaking, Christianity has been very cohesive for 2,000 years. You try and come up with an organization, have it exist for two millennia across many, many countries, across many, many uh, language barriers, and have it not get a little bit tweaked here and there. But the cores were made the same. Yeah. The core is the same. And that's not nothing. Yeah. So that's my response to that one. Fair enough. Let's let's get to Chloe's answer here. Um, she feels that the... The supposed hypocrisy within Christianity makes it harder to believe, and that the more that she read from Scripture, the harder she, f the less she found herself believing. Mm -hmm. And I'm assuming she's she's saying in reference to before she apostatized, basically. Yeah. Um, the more she read, the less she believed because of the supposed hypocrisy within Scripture and within Christianity. Now, this is an argument you see a lot by atheists or agnostics or whatever in today's age, which is that, oh, well, the Bible says this here, but then right here in this other verse, it says this thing that's in total disagreement. Or it says this, but you Christians are doing the exact opposite of that, right? How, how do we respond to that? Because on one hand, you can say, okay, the Bible says this and you guys aren't doing it. Yeah, that's on us. But as you've already pointed out, we're humans. We suck. Yeah. That's the whole point. We're, um, we're sinful people. We're going to we're going to screw up. So right, I am going to put some words in Chloe's mouth because I don't actually know what she's trying to point to. Okay, in the scriptures, and she didn't um, specify. She didn't specify. So I I'm gonna make some assumptions. Okay, it has been my observation that when people make this sort of complaint, they say, "Well, it says in Deuteronomy not to eat scrimp." but you Christians eat scrimp. Mm -hmm. That's hypocrisy. It's like, hold on a second. Did you read the rest of the book? I know it's big, but if you get to the end, that stuff in the first few books doesn't apply anymore. Yep. And it doesn't apply because Jesus did some really important stuff. That's kind of a the big deal. The old law no longer applies yeah, to that, you. Yeah, that's kind of a big deal for Christianity is that whole Jesus part around the, the last third of the Bible. Yeah. Big deal. So the reason we don't do Old Testament stuff is because it's not— Because it's, not it's our no bad. longer the law. Yeah, that's for Jewish people. 
And it was fulfilled by Christ. And it was fulfilled by Christ. Not relevant anymore. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is that they will assume... I'm not saying Chloe is doing this. Yes. But I have encountered this, where people assume that everything the Bible mentions, it is affirming. Okay? Mm. So there's the part in Judges where uh, a guy has a concubine and these people in the city want to rape her and he's like yeah go ahead and he throws her out and they rape her to death yeah it's a terrible story and he's like oh that was terrible so what's he do he takes his dead concubine cuts her up into 12 pieces and ships her various uh dismembered body parts throughout the 12 tribes of israel he's like see how screwed up this is they <laughs> raped her to death isn't that icky yeah and atheists will point to that and be like see the bible condones rape and it's like how hold on a second do you have any any media literacy? This isn't—it's here in the in the book in the story, but it's not saying that it's a good thing. Yeah, or it, it's not endorsing that it, one there where there's those two women with their kids, and they're like, "We decided to boil and eat our children for some reason. We're going to eat our kids." And then one of them boiled and ate one of the kids without the other woman, and then the woman's like, oh, "She ate the kid without me. Do something to punish her." And they'll point to that and say, see, you guys eat babies. Yeah, <laughs> and it's it like, is, no, the it, point is pretty clearly the point of the story they is, shouldn't be eating babies. Yeah, the point of the story is that that's bad. Now, second of all, yeah, <laughs> for hypocrisy just in uh, Christian peoples and what Christian peoples yeah. do, uh, I got a question for you, Ryan. Yeah. If Chris Brown <laughs> tells you that you shouldn't hit women, mm -hmm. that invalidates not hitting women because he's a hypocrite because he hit women. Right? So now it's cool to hit women. No. Woo! What? No. What? That's not how it works? No, it's not. Dang. So, just because someone might say something is bad, they might say, uh, you shouldn't have premarital sex and looking at porn is wrong. And you might find out that they're constantly looking at big old anime titties on the internet. <laughs> That doesn't mean that looking at porn is all of a sudden fine. It, are you dealing with a hypocrite? Yep. Is the hypocrite wrong about the thing they said? Not necessarily. They, mm -hmm. they might ha lose some amount of credibility in your eyes, but it doesn't necessarily negate the thing that they said. Okay? That's the... Uh, I want to say that's the... Uh, the origin fallacy yeah where you say see it came from someone that was a jerk and therefore it's wrong no no nah, nah, that's not clear thinking it's not good thought yeah um, just because we screw up doesn't mean that the things we say you shouldn't screw up about aren't bad and as i said previously pulling from c.s lewis yeah that's the point that's that's, that's why. the point we are not very good at this christianity thing i know that's why Jesus died. Yeah. All right. Let's keep going here. Next question. Do you feel or do you believe that your lack of faith is worth, worth the risk of your eternal life? Now, as I sort of poorly quoted C.S. Lewis, if Christianity exists, it is the most important thing. Full stop, period. And if it does not exist, it doesn't matter. Uh, right? So you may not realize what you've done here. Mm. But this is called Pascal's Wager, because a guy named Pascal in like the year 1200 or something yeah. came up with this as like a thought experiment. Yeah. He's like, 
if Christianity's right and you participate, you get to go to heaven. If it's wrong and you participate, you lived a virtuous life. That's yeah. not so bad. Almost every other religion is cool with you as long as you were virtuous. Yeah. And Christianity would have you be virtuous. If it's wrong. right and you don't participate, uh-oh, SpaghettiO, are, are you willing to make that bet? That's Pascal's wager. Yeah. Um, and you've thrown that at them. Yeah, um, which I didn't—I I was aware of arguments like this. I wasn't aware of that specifically, so that's yeah. kind of neat. Yeah. Um, but let's get into their answers. Now, Alex and Chloe pretty much gave the same answer, by which you mean Alex gave his answer, and then Chloe much, pretty much just said, like, yeah, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. So their, their answer is that a loving and forgiving God— would not allow individuals to consign themselves to eternal damnation because if the God that is the arbitrator of this is truly loving, if God loves you, then he would send you to heaven or to eternal life or reincarnation or whatever it is, just no matter what, because he loves you. And it's not very loving to allow you to consign yourself to eternal damnation. Your conception of God as forgiving and loving is a Christian one, and the Christian God is also just and righteous, which is why he has had his church harshly warning you and others for the past 2,000 years about the eternal fires of hell. If you choose something other than God, that is your choice, and it is not loving to force you into his presence if you want nothing to do with him? Mm. Good luck. I'm praying for you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this one's this one's tough, right? It's not, though. Well, it doesn't have to be. It, but like, from their perspective, I can see why it would be tough. I, I get it, but also, when at the top of the thing, I talked about how atheists don't understand Christianity. This is them not understanding Christianity. They want the toothless Jesus. They want the peace-love hippie Jesus. Mm. That is not the Jesus of Christianity. And you don't—God as a loving, merciful, good thing, that's not a given. That's a Christian thing. Look at the gods of every other religion. Yeah. They're pretty crap. (laughs) Zeus is a serial rapist, okay? Yeah. Jupiter, same thing, serial rapist. Ganesh, uh, uh, or no, it's not Ganesh, it's Vishnu, I think, of the mm-hmm. Hindu pantheon. He's like just chaos goblin. He likes <laughs> ruining everything just for for giggles. Ra demands human sacrifice. Yeah. You know, stuff like, like that. Gods are not just inherently good, loving things. The reason you conceptualize God as good, loving, and merciful is because Christians have told you he's those things. He also says, you can be with me for forever. Part of being with me forever means that you are going to be a particular kind of person. And you can say, I'd rather not do that. Okay. And if you choose to not do that, you go somewhere where he isn't. I'm going to make an argument in their stead. um, Go for it. Put some words in their mouth. Uh, Sorry, guys, but... I feel like I know them well enough to know what they might consider saying to something like that, which would be, well, if God wanted me to be a particular way, 
in order for me to be part of this eternal life with him, why did he not make me that way? Why am I the way that I am and not created to be the way I'm supposed to be, supposedly? How hard is it to not look at titties on the internet? <laughs> For some How people, very hard. hard is it to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? In the Old Testament, there's this story where this general is afflicted with leprosy. Yes. And he goes to this prophet and he says, prophet, can you heal me of this leprosy? And the prophet tells him to go down to the Jordan and wash seven times. And he goes away sad and angry because he wanted the prophet to tell him to conquer a city or to uh, sacrifice a thousand goats or do something miraculous. Yeah. He tells him to go wash in a river. And the general's servant says, you know, if he asked you to do something hard, you would have done it. He's asked you to do something easy. All you've got to do is wash seven times wash in the river. seven times in the river. Christ asks us to do something that costs, but something that's easy. Get dunked in the water, have the bread and the wine, go to the church, say the prayers, pursue life with other Christians, and pursue holiness. You could do that. Yeah. It is not out of your reach. You are freely and consistently and unapologetically choosing to do something different. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's get into Clemens' answer here to that question, which is uh, he feels that fearing hell and eternal damnation means suffering now in such a way that you are living through your own personal hell that is worse than whatever suffering the supposed Christian hell would actually bring. Again, atheists not understanding what Christianity be. Um, I've got a thought experiment. Okay. Imagine... I clobbered you in the balls as hard as I could. <laughs> I don't okay. I want to imagine that. But imagine man. it. Imagine it. Think about uh, it. Okay. Think about me clobbering you in the balls as hard as I could. Okay. Now I'm going to get up and go over there. Uh, <laughs> oh, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, wait. Wait. Which one is worse? Thinking about it or actually experiencing it? Mm. Which is worse to think about suffering or actually to suffer? You don't need a philosophy degree to parse that one out. I'm pretty sure it's actually suffering. And I'm pretty sure that Clemen doesn't understand what hell is supposed to be. If he thinks that being anxious about it now is worse than what Holy Scripture tells us it is, then he doesn't know what Holy Scripture says it is. Mm. He doesn't understand what we're talking about here. And I don't know you, Clemen. I don't know you, buddy. But I'm, I'm going to talk to you directly for a second here. There are a couple different ways of thinking about hell, okay? And these are all some—one way or another, you could argue these are all 
within the umbrella of Christianity, all within orthodoxy. So the first one is eternal conscious torment. All right, so it's forever. You are conscious of what's happening, and it's awful, okay? Because the Christian believes that all good things come from God. So if you are not with God, you do not have access to anything that is good, okay? The second one is annihilation of the damned. That is when people go to hell and they are destroyed, okay? They, they cease to exist. Um, that ceasing to exist, depending on who you ask that believes in annihilation, it might be after millennia of you being, you experiencing eternal conscious torment until there's nothing left of you. Yeah. Okay. And it whittles you down until there isn't anything left of you to be whittled down. Um, I'm not going to talk about the other two. We're running low on time and we have so much more to get through, but th th those are the, the two primary ones. Okay. Um, just think about which is worse to be told you're going to be hit in the balls or to be hit in the balls. And then I want you to imagine getting hit in the balls for eternity. And I want you to imagine eternity, if you can, and think about getting hit in the balls for all of that. What a heck of a thing that would be. Mm. Let's move on. Um, this next question I asked, I don't know that we need to discuss this too much. I just thought it was an interesting question. Uh, do you believe in an afterlife? Um, so I'm not sure how much we want to dig into this because we've got more interesting stuff to discuss. I, I, I have one-sentence responses to all of these. Okay, so Alex's response is he believes in a more personal afterlife in the sense of however good or moral or bad and immoral you are determines the kind of afterlife you personally receive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And who arbitrates this if not a, a god? Mm. Mm. And who determines good, bad, immoral, moral? Who determines that? Again, we're, we're back on the objectivity thing. Who determines that? Fair enough. Uh, Clemen likes the idea of an afterlife. Uh, and what he told me is that uh, it, it brings him a, a certain level of comfort. And he, he likes the idea, but does not necessarily buy into the idea of an afterlife. I'm going to read my, my response to that one verbatim. Okay. Fair enough. <laughs> yeah, I don't have much to say about that, All right. to be honest. And then uh, Chloe does, but in a more reincarnation sense, that uh, the afterlife may look something like a reincarnation cycle. There are a lot of philosophical problems with reincarnation that we don't have time to get into right now. Mm -hmm. So I will, again, read my one-sentence response verbatim. Okay, that's dumb, though. <laughs> Reinc Yikes. Reincarnation doesn't hold water when you start digging into it. Mm. Because there... How many people are on Earth? Eight billion? We just passed that? Yeah, just passed eight billion, just I think. Just eight billion. How many people were there on Earth before that? Well, less than eight billion. Well, where are the souls mm. coming from? Hmm. Well, if you buy into... Uh bugs and animals you can reincarnate to those that would yeah yeah but how how does a snail be a good snail <laughs> how does a yeah. snail move up to the next level yeah it eats or leaves is, really good or is being a snail the top 
Mm. You know, maybe being a snail is like the best way to be. You know, you, you, snails just vibe out, man. They vibe just out leaves, leaves. <laughs> just hang out, have shells. Yeah, I I don't know. I don't have much to say about those. It's yeah, we'll just again. It was more just a personal question kind of thing. We'll let that sit. Yeah. Reincarnation's dumb. All right. If the Bible is a credible source of history, which we know it to be, because there are plenty of events that take place in Holy Scripture that we have other historical documents that back that up, that we or know these things happen. Archaeological evidence, like yeah. Hezekiah's tunnel. We know these things historically happened, like certain wars or, again, just events that took place in Scripture. If it is a credible source of history, does that lend any credibility to it as, quote-unquote, God's Word, or as Holy Scripture, or as what we ought to use to determine how we live our lives. Alex's response was that he feels that the people who wrote Scripture were simply trying to explain things that they could not fully understand, and that it's not necessarily that these miraculous, crazy stories in the Bible are fake or wrong, it's that they just, they literally didn't understand it. They were misinterpreting what was happening and explaining it in such a way that they could comprehend with their lack of understanding of science or of, you know, whatever. It is it is simply misunderstanding and misinterpretation. How do you feel about that? I'm going to be a bit of a jerk. Um, that's minus 10 points, Alex. That doesn't answer the question at all. Doesn't even start to address it. Mm. The question was, is the Bible a valid source of history? And if it is a valid source of history... Does that give it any uh, credence as inspired by God? And Alex says, the biblical authors weren't necessarily wrong, and they didn't say things that were fake. They just misunderstood things. Mm. Okay, well, doesn't address the question, but I'll, I'll respond to Alex's thing. Um, the Bible is this mix of pretty normal ancient life stuff with incredible divine interventions sporadically happening, right? We have stories that are just kind of how ancient life was, right? Yeah. Uh, with God breaking in every so often and doing something miraculous. Um, I'm going to guess that, Alex, buddy, you don't spend a whole lot of time with ancient texts. <laughs> if you did... I don't think that you would think they were as prone to misinterpret things as you seem to think. Ancient people were smart, and they were probably smarter than you. They were certainly smarter than me. They built the pyramids. They figured out how to measure the circumference of the earth based off of shadows of poles in the desert. That I couldn't even begin to do that. Yeah. Is it that people in the ancient world experienced an earthquake— and they, quote-unquote, misinterpreted it as God's judgment? Or is it that an earthquake has happened now, and you are misinterpreting it as a mere geological phenomenon? Mm. Just something to think about, okay? That's yeah. I, I know that's not, like, the strongest argument, but yeah. s are they misinterpreting it? Are you sure? If God is real— why is this a misinterpretation? If he's real, you know? And it's a heck of a misinterpretation to have a, a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night for 40 years meandering around the Sinai Peninsula. That's a heck of a thing to just kind of casually misunderstand. 
<laughs> yeah. By golly, that's a that's a lot. That would take a special kind so, of stupid. It's a heck of a thing for uh, yeah. a, the River Jordan to just like stop for a quarter million people to walk across the river for a. It that's would be a heck of a thing. Pretty hard to misinterpret uh, the the Nile turning into a river of blood. Yeah, or <laughs> the firstborn of every household of the the Egyptian people all suddenly dying, dead. They out just, of nowhere. They just misinterpreted the dead kids. But not the Jewish kids. Not the Jewish. They just misinterpreted. The, they, ancient people had yeah. no idea what blood looked like, so when the water turned to blood, they just couldn't understand it. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't around blood all the time because they had to kill everything they ate. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Now, Clement and Chloe both felt, or I guess feel, that the historical value of Holy Scripture and its credibility as Holy Scripture are completely disconnected. That one has nothing to do with the other. Just because it is a good source of history and we know that some of these things happened does not in any way lend credibility to it as God's inspired word. Um, and on some level, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, but the thing is, when it comes to religious texts, every single sentence is a truth claim. Right. It every yeah. single sentence either is or is not true. OK. And for stuff like the Hindu texts, we can't evaluate any of it because it happens in Hindu space where there's Hindu monkey gods having Hindu spaceship battles. Ancient Star Wars. OK. I can't do anything with that. But the Bible says that Hezekiah dug this tunnel that was a mile long. And by golly, we found the tunnel. Yeah. That happened. So for the things that we can evaluate for truth, the Bible, nine times out of ten, comes out on top as true. So for me, for the things I can't confirm, because they were miraculous and one-shot things, I can't confirm it. But I'm not afraid to take that jump to say this is probably true too, because everything else, as far as we can tell, is. Yeah. So... That's, I'd agree. That's fair. Let's keep trucking here. We're already over time. This is going to be a little bit of a longer episode, but I think it's important to get through all of this. I, I think it's valuable. I think you're right. So let's let's keep going. Uh, what about the disciples and their deaths? If, pe if the people who knew Jesus believed enough to do what they did with their martyrdoms, does that lend credibility to the things that Christ supposedly did? Because uh, if you're not aware, almost all of the disciples died horrible, gruesome, painful deaths. Except John the Beloved. Yes. He died of old age. Peter and his wife were both crucified upside down. <laughs> you know, who was it? Uh, was it Philip who, who got speared to death in India probably? or uh, I think that was Thomas. Thomas, one it of them. Yeah. Bartholomew was skinned alive. Yeah. That's a heck of a way to go. Um, None of them... Again, besides John the Beloved. And he died in exile on yeah, Patmos. None of so, them particularly know, had great deaths. And I'm sorry, but I don't think any one of them would have gone through with that if they did not genuinely believe that Christ did the miracles they saw him do and is God. He is the Christ, right? Um, so does that lend credibility? Because they knew him a lot better than you and I do. Right. Does that lend credibility to the things he supposedly did? Okay? That's a fair question, I feel. Yeah. 
Alex's response is that he felt that what happened was more of a deception, smoke and mirrors kind of thing. They didn't actually see Christ perform supposed miracles, but it was, you know, sleight of hand, tricks of the trade, whatever, you know. Oh, I turned this water into wine, up, you know, up close magic kind of thing. The the cool magic trick where uh, you get publicly executed and then uh, get stabbed on top of the regular execution, oh, and then and then you just kind of crawl out of the hole they buried uh, you in. Let's play... Cool magic trick. Let's play devil's advocate. Well, what if it was just a stand-in? It was some other guy. It wasn't actually Jesus. And then, oh, here comes the actual guy three days later walking out. Oh, look at me. I'm alive again. Ryan... The government wants you dead. Yes. So at some point, you bamboozle the government to have some other guy get killed in your stead, Mm -hmm. which is kind of a jerk move. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to just, are you going to be like, hey, not dead. Cool magic trick, right, guys? Or are you going to be like, dodge that bullet, and then you're going to leave? Yeah. You might show back up a little bit, but you're going to leave. You're not going to hang around for 40 days, which is what Jesus did after he resurrected. Not only did he hang around for 40 days, he supposedly went around telling people, hey, I'm back. Yeah, he was like, surprise. <laughs> hey, it's me. It's it's uh, me. That Jesus. and he, he also uh, makes the argument that he believes the disciples simply didn't fear death as much as we do. Because they lived in a time where, oh no, I stubbed my toe, I'm going to die of dysentery now. So, <laughs> I... I... I'm going to pick on you now. Ooh. I don't super love the way you phrased this question. Mm. Um, I think a the, the death of the apostles and others like Polycarp yeah. is so uh, something you'll run into a lot if you poke around in, on atheists yeah. is that they'll say things like religion is about money, power, and controlling people, especially women. Yeah. that That's a very common atheist critique of religion. Mm-hmm. The disciples got no money, they got no power, and they got no control over anybody. Yeah. What they got was skinned alive. Or crucified upside or down. crucified upside down. So, regardless of if their martyrdom is evidence that... It, at the very least, I think it's evidence that they truly believed what they were teaching about Jesus, at the very least, it's evidence that they weren't vying for power, money, and women. Mm. If they were vying for power, money, and women, much better thing to do is become a a priest of Zeus. Yeah. Or, or to become a proconsul for Rome or to become a tax collector or yeah, something. Yeah, think about the fact that Matthew was a tax collector and a, a wealthy tax collector yeah. at that. Uh, Paul was... Um, a a pretty notable rabbi. Paul was living the the high life. And there were two legal religions in Rome. The Roman religion, Judaism. Everything else was illegal. Now, if you had a a pre-Roman pagan cult where you had like a river god, Rome would be like, okay, that's close enough to Poseidon. Call your river god Poseidon and you can keep doing that. And they're like, bet. He's Poseidon now, but we're still going to call him Gorkstathon, the river god. Uh, and they're like, Gorkstathon. Yeah, close enough, as long as you... This is when you celebrate Poseidon, and they're like, bet, extra holiday. Paul 
could have stayed in the one thing that wasn't the Roman religion that was legal yeah. and been a prominent rabbi and had a really good thing going for him and gotten money, power, and perhaps even women. And he didn't do that. Matthew could have stayed a wealthy tax collector. So, rich. Rich beyond measure. At the very least, the apostles were not vying for the, money, power, for money power, and women, or control over women. Yeah. That was not their intention in going after this new Christianity thing. Um, whether or not their suffering points to them being right, it's a little bit of a non-sequitur. Yeah. But at the very least, they weren't, uh, they weren't pursuing earthly goods. We can yeah. say that pretty confidently. So yeah, now Clement feels that it makes no difference. It doesn't matter. That that was his response to this. That their suffering for for Christ and the things that they did, having known him, doesn't lends zero credibility to Jesus being the Son of God or the miracles he supposedly performed. It means nothing. Fair enough, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I that's fine, I guess. This is why I have problems with interreligious dialogue because at some point it's like, well, I don't think that's right. It's like, okay, okay, yeah. I've I don't really have much of a response to that outside of I'm sorry you feel that way. I guess it's like oh oh well. I, mean, I would have to be uh, really convinced that I was right about something. Yeah. To uh, get skinned alive. Yeah. Same. Uh, sometimes we'll use a as a fun little thing. I'd take an X kind of bullet for this. Take yeah. a Nerf bullet, airsoft bullet, twenty-two bullet, nine millimeter, fifty caliber, whatever. And all of those are pretty fast. Yeah. Getting skinned alive? That ain't fast. That's going to take a minute. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Chloe's response is that people have died for a lot less than this. So it it doesn't really matter. You know, people have died for other gods. Yeah. Willingly. Um, people have died for, you know, people have died for a piece of bread. People have died for whatever. Um. So that doesn't really mean as we learned in our last episode on the martyrdom of polycarp when the roman authorities took you and they were going to kill you for being a christian they would say light this candle burn the incense burn the incense and swear an oath to the luck of caesar which was a, a household deity for caesar's house swear by the luck of caesar and light the candle Pagans generally don't have a problem doing something small like that to save their skin. The Christians, they were willing to not light a candle and be boiled in oil or have molten lead poured on them from foot to head. Mm. It's a thing that happened. And whether or not that means that Jesus truly was God in the flesh, um, it's a bit of a non-sequitur, but it's not nothing. Yeah. So. All right. We've just got a few more questions here. Do you feel that the people in your life specifically have been a good representative of the Christian faith? Okay. Alex's response is that his interaction with other Christians Aside from me, uh, in his own words, I actually wrote this down. Uh, a quote from him exactly is, you're a swell Christian, Ryan. 
Thanks, Alex. I appreciate that. Love you, buddy. Uh, <laughs> but that his interaction with other Christians has, for the most part, been quite poor. And that, in his experience, it has mostly just been people using their faith as an excuse to do bad things. Which, that's unfortunate. I, I would be curious to, uh, to chat with him over a coffee about what he means by that. Mm. Because I wonder if it's like, well, you know, um, the Bible's pretty clear that marriage is between a man and a woman, and I know you're my cousin, but I'm not coming to your gay wedding, buddy. Yeah. And I want good things for you, but I'm not coming to your wedding because that's not what I believe is right. Mm -hmm. Is he passing that as bad things? Or is he thinking like you know, more malicious type things. I'm going to assume he's meaning more malicious type things, like, you know, pastors molesting children, stuff like that. Yeah. I'm assuming that's what he's getting at. Uh, and maybe the other thing also, I don't want to put words in his mouth. Right. But... I, I, I'm just curious what he means by using it... As an to, excuse. As an excuse for bad things. Yeah. Uh, because most Christians are not... Occasionally you'll run into someone that's like, you know... If I don't steal this video game, Jesus died for nothing. Occasionally you'll run into that and then you smack them over the side of the head and say, you're an idiot, that's yeah. wrong. Um, but <laughs> yeah, generally, Christians try to do not bad things. That's yeah. kind of our thing. So I'm curious what he means. Yeah. Now, Clemen feels that his interaction with Christians has overall been pretty positive, actually. That, uh, you know, certainly he's met some crappy Christians, as I'm sure all of us have. Me too. Yeah. Um, but overall, that, you know, none of them have been egregious or or negative for the most part, that it's been it's been fine. Christians have been not necessarily a a great positive force in his life, but they've been fine. You know, he takes no issues with people being Christians or the Christians that he has interacted with. I fair enough, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Good cool. Now <laughs> Chloe, coming from a religious background, I feel like had the most interesting answer for this question, mm -hmm. which is that the general populace, in her opinion, has been a very poor example of what Christianity ought to be or what it should be or what it supposedly is, but that her experience with church leadership has overall been positive. Um, again, if I'm not mistaken, she grew up in the Roman Catholic Church. I don't know what her interaction with her leadership was like, but it sounds like it was pretty positive overall, uh, and that the people outside of leadership she interacted with probably weren't as good, um, which I'm going to say that's how it ought to be, because the whole point of being a priest or a pastor or whatever, being in that position of church leadership, you are called to be holier. You are called to a higher life of of righteousness, of of love. It's not very Protestant of you. It'd be like that, man. Like I'm <laughs> You know, it's it's like in James, it talks about how not many of you should become teachers, for you will be judged more harshly than the rest of us. Yeah. It's um, I that's how it ought to be, I'd say. As much as I'd I'd say I I'm sorry that your interaction with the general Christian people has been negative in your opinion. And but I'm glad that your interaction with the leadership has been better because it's supposed to be better um 
I used to do martial arts. Yes. For for a long time. I was pretty good at it too. And there were people that would come to the class and, you know, they'd do the push-ups and they'd do the shadow boxing and they they, yeah. they had fun with it. Um, but they couldn't fight their way out of a wet paper bag, man. Yeah. They wouldn't be able to do it. And there were other people that took it very, very seriously that acted like they were training to avenge their dead lover. Like th- there were <laughs> people- Maybe they were. That went hard- um, we were all martial artists. Some took it more seriously. Some had more talent. Some were more athletic. But we we were all doing the same thing. Um, and I think it's uh, the reality is that not all Christians are going to be as good at being Christians as others. Not everyone's quite as spiritually athletic. Yeah. And, and on some level, that's that's okay. It, that's part of dealing with people, is that we have different strengths and different weaknesses, and it's not the end of the world if some people are less vigorous. If you read the Gospels, you might take note that Peter was infamously kind of bad at the whole Christian thing. It, at first, at it first, it took, took him a minute. while to get there, <laughs> yeah. and Jesus called him brother. So, yeah. you know, um, last couple things here really is just I asked have have they ever considered truly converting, or would they ever truly consider converting? Uh, Clement and Chloe both pretty much just outright said no, which is Fair a shame. Enough. Fair enough, but shame. I that's. That's sad for me. Uh, Alex said he probably would not, so his was a little more a little more open, um, and good for him, I guess. Uh, maybe maybe one day I'll get him. We're waiting on you, buddy. Uh, I'll get you one day, buddy. Come on, let's go. <laughs> he he, but he probably would not. Which, fair enough. Again, fair enough, but that's unfortunate. We've got one last question that you actually wanted to pose them. Yeah, which is. What would convince you to convert? What would convince you that this is the truth? What would it take? And uh, for all these other answers I've been reading off, that was me writing down their answers verbatim. They weren't exactly, you know, word for word. The answers I got for this were directly copied from Alex, uh, speaking for all three of them. So these are the exact words they used. So this is uh, this is straight up what they said, right? Here's what we got from Alex. I haven't thought of it a lot, but I think with a lot of miracles and feats that have been spread or talked about in the Bible, stuff like talking to people as a disembodied voice or through a burning bush or whatever else, if he wanted to be known and believed uh, and believed in, he sounds able to do so with very little effort. Stuff like literally using a burning bush again and setting up some place on earth where he'd present himself as undeniable in front of people in a way he'd know is impossible to replicate. Knowable, uh, knowable wise, I think that it depends on how much patient he'd or whatever other representative he has, has. 
I'd want to ask questions about why things are a certain way, and if he could either answer them to show them through some divine sense and be made to understand why he made things the way they are, and why I should accept them. Maybe even understand how he'd feel should I choose not to. Then, regardless of if I accept him or not, I'd at least believe he is God. So that's a lot to take in. Mm -hmm. That's That's a lot. But what he's getting at is, if God presented himself in a place... In such a manner that it is undeniable and unreplicatable, I am God. And were he allowed to ask that God questions, even if he does not accept that God, he would acknowledge him as God. Which, I don't want to be a jerk, but if God is God, then not accepting God is not the move to make. I probably bad not. idea. <laughs> bad idea. If God showed up and was like, "Yeah, I'm actually like Cthulhu," mind melting terribleness. Yeah, I'd be like, bet I'm on board. Yeah, I'm on board with the thing that controls the weather. Let's let's go, baby. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's not how God is. Um, but you get what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. What God be? That's the thing I'm in. I'm on with. Yeah. Yep. Team God. Yeah. All right. Now, Acquie's answer. I think if he shows himself as a creature or higher power that willingly chose kindness, that would convince me. The reason is because I think a creature of higher power that's described the way the Christians would, if it chose violence or evil, it would go against what they believe believe in, and it, I would be able to see that. I wouldn't be able to see that as a god. Plus, I think it'd take some tangible proof of his existence. So. God would have to present himself, being a higher power, but also would have to present himself as the moral hierarchy, as the as the arbitrator of goodness and kindness. If he showed up and he was like, oh, I'm going to start killing people, well, I'd probably be in agreement. Yeah, if God showed up and said, I'm just going to start slaughtering people by the millions, or, you know, I'm going to start saying and doing awful things, maybe don't. Don't follow that God, because that's not how it ought to be. So, if a higher power presented itself and was morally higher, was correct morally, that would be enough to convince. Clement. Clement, thank you. Is his uh, his online name that I know him better by uh, is his gamer tag, as it were. Mm. Thank you. You're welcome. Any any thoughts on that? Uh, I. When you sent me the responses to this question, I wrote out a lengthy response to you, and I'm just going to read that when, okay. after you read Chloe's okay. answer. Because yeah. my lengthy response applies. It's to all three. It's to all three. Yeah. All right. Let's because get, they all say the same thing. Let's get into Chloe then. I think it would take something as is described in the Bible that is undeniably God-related, like a unique experience that has no other possible explanation besides it being the work of a holy being. Not the wishes and goodwill of faith, stuff like when people say, ah, what a miracle, thank God, that someone pulled through a surgery, or something of the like. So, it would have to be a deeply unique experience, a personal experience. It can't just be, ah, I prayed that this person would get healthy, and they got healthy, so that must be God. Um... So, like I said, you, you sent me all of these responses... After they responded to the question. Yeah. And I replied to you. I said, I reckon a virgin birth might be a start. 
You could have a fellow being very publicly ex that fellow being very publicly executed, and he could do something like quit being dead afterwards. Of course, you can't just have these things constantly happening, or it isn't miraculous anymore, and therefore no longer is evidence for God. So you might want some sort of institution to preserve and pass on the story. You might could have some kind of temple or something with specially trained leaders who know the story really well that you could ask questions to and get answers from about why things are the way they are. Of course, you'd need occasional happenings in the now to keep people from losing heart. Maybe you could have a vision from time to time, or perhaps very intense personal religious experiences, things you might re describe as religious ecstasy or speaking in tongues. Maybe rituals that help us access a sense of connectivity and spiritual levity. You could call it player, because it's like your spirit is elevated to a level of play. Maybe you could even keep records of miracles as they continue to happen. Maybe you could write them down in a big book that details all the ways people experience and have connected with this God character. That might be a place to start. You could call them miracle books. Oh, wait, we have those. We have what? The part where William just starts getting frustrated. What the atheist wants as evidence is Jesus Christ and his church. But the atheist soundly rejects both and maintains that a loving and just God can't possibly mind. What they want, they have access to if they pursue it. It's there. These things were not done in a corner that you might not know about them. They were done openly. If you want to know if God exists, go to a church. There you go. The, the atheist has a very specific idea of what counts as evidence. And what counts as evidence is the things that Christians have been saying we've been up to for the past 2,000 years. But the atheist demands that it happen to them specifically. Anything else and it doesn't count. Fair enough. But it won't happen to you if you are not pursuing God and the things of God. Mm. Okay? I hope that this has been helpful for you, dear listener. I hope that Alex, Clemen, and uh, Chloe have been listening to this. I hope that you've bared with us. I hope that um, I wasn't too harsh on you. I'm not trying to be harsh, but this is the most important thing in the world. And um, yeah, I would take, I wouldn't take a bullet for it. I would be skinned alive for it, that you're wrong. And so. I, I kind of want to pose to uh, the, this sort of open-ended question of, how much of this is is our fault or failing to convey this stuff to people like these three friends of mine? Um, obviously, like I said, Chloe grew up in a religious family, uh, so I almost wonder how much of that, in part of her her leaving the church, is their fault of failing to be good examples of the faith and pour into her life spiritually in a in a positive manner. Um, I wonder how much of that would have to do with it. Um, 
Because when you look at it, only 4.2%. This is, there's probably some wiggle room here with these statistics, these numbers, but according to the research, the very minimal research I did, only 4.2% of Christians are converts from outside of Christian-raised families. 4.2% of the whole church are outside converts. Now. Now, yes. Yeah, and for, for a good long while there, yeah, that was all it could be. Yeah, but nowadays, in the modern day, 4.2%, that is a fraction of the church. And what that tells me is that being raised in that kind of family has a major part to play in whether or not you remain in the faith. And when you look at stuff like this, individuals like this who have answers like this, you have to wonder how much of this is our fault to fail to convey the faith in a way that is accessible to them and makes them want to convert. Um, <clears throat> and I know you might disagree with me, but I'm going to say it's probably more than we'd like to admit. Uh, my knee-jerk reaction is to say it's not our fault at all. Mm. Um, this is a voluntary thing. It is. You don't have to be a Christian, unless you're Presbyterian, then, you know. <laughs> For everyone else that's right and believes in free will. Um, you don't have to do this. Yeah. You can choose to walk away from it. Or you can choose to pursue it. In America, at least. I know your friends are European. Yes. But in America, within 10 air miles of my house, there are probably several dozen churches. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I passed four on the way here. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's four between your apartment and my apartment. And it's not far. It's like a, maybe it's yeah. a minute drive. I count four or five, and it's like a two-mile drive. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> They're waiting on you, buddy. Show up one day and see what you think. You know? Like, I, well, I appreciate the evangelical spirit. And the desire to convert people. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. And we should be open and willing. To, we should be waiting with open arms for when the people show up. Mm -hmm. But if they don't want it, they don't want it. And all, all I can do for these folk is pray for them mm -hmm. and uh, try to do a, a podcast when I don't have the flu where I, I talk about religion in a way that's makes sense and yeah. is well articulated is accessible. It is accessible. That's the best I can do. And, you know, I, I have friends and coworkers that aren't religious, but they know I am and they've asked me questions before and I've done my darndest. Um, but I can't make anyone convert. Yeah. It's their choice. And I can't make anyone stay in the faith when they grow up in the faith. It's their choice if they want to see this thing through or go away. Ski-daddle. Ski-daddle. It's their choice. Um, so I'm not going to sit here and have hand-wringing guilt about yeah. how much is my fault mm -hmm. because it, it's not my fault. If they choose to not be a Christian, that is their choice. It is. Um, if you have any questions, though, let me know. If you have any questions about today's episode or anything else, you can email us at theologyish at gmail.com, and we yeah. will get back to you. And uh, 
I'm sure once this episode goes up and gets out to my friends who participated today, uh, they might have some further responses or questions yeah, in turn. Yeah, I totally welcome that. And I hope, yeah. I, again, I really hope I wasn't harsh. I tried not to be, but I also tried to not compromise anything that I was saying. Yeah, and again, our point was this, is not to try to convince these individuals or anyone else to convert. It is not to necessarily even defend our faith. It was, again, I simply wanted to get an outsider's view on these subjects and how they feel about them and ultimately say, what is our response as the church to that? How how do we justify these things or respond to these things? Um, and I feel like we did an okay job at that. As much as I would like to take credit for some of the things that I feel like I said that were kind of smart, mm-hmm. um, some of it was me, and some of it was Origin of Alexandria, some of it was Augustine of Hippo, some of it was C.S. Lewis yeah. and uh, G.K. Chesterton and Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Because if you actually want the answer to these questions, the question's been answered. Over and over and over. Over and over and over again for 2,000 years, which is part of the reason why I don't like interreligious dialogue for me. Yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, we've already addressed all of this. Why are we still talking about it? If Why do I have to talk to you about this when if you actually want to know the answer, I have a stack of books four feet high that you can go read and get your answer from there. Mm. If you actually want to know why God created the world the way it is, start with City of God by St. Augustine. How about that? It's 1,091 pages. Good luck. If you actually want to know why it is the way that it is, maybe Against Heresies by Irenaeus of Lyons. If you actually want to know why Christianity is better than, uh, like, Mormonism— how about you go read against Praxis by Tertullian of Carthage? Yeah, if, Give that if you want to know why God is the moral object, objectively moral, morally higher being, read Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Yeah, or The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis. He does not mention God at all in that. Or he just lays down why we need a thing outside of human society that is good or go read the consolation of philosophy yeah by boethius that's a great one yeah working through that again right now oh yeah yeah it's a good one yeah light that's yeah this this was not an attempt to convert my friends it was simply a dialogue with the hopes of understanding them a little bit better so that maybe they can understand us a little bit better and and provide the rest of you listeners out there with a Maybe some ideas and resources that can help you when you have friends who ask similar questions or give similar responses. And I, I'd, I'd love to convert you. I don't think I will. Um, that's okay. Yeah. It's not my job to convert you. Um, it's my job to love you. Mm. And uh, I've tried to do that today by telling you what I believe is the truth. So there you go. Yeah. Well... We're at an hour and a half, more than an hour and a half here. This one ran real long. Thank you to my friends Alex, Clemen, and Chloe for uh, providing their their outlook and their responses for this episode. Um, even if we disagree with you, we still appreciate it and your, your willingness to be open and agree to have this put out publicly on the internet for everyone to hear. Um, Especially since you doxed Clemen with his gamer tag. Now people can harass him. Eh, maybe we'll have a uh, love, Jesse censor that Mm. (laughs) bleep that one out um for the rest of you out there thank you for listening if you still are i'd be shocked (laughs) um this was a good one 
I enjoyed it. Um, leave a like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube. It really helps us out. Leave a five-star review on Spotify. Don't forget to smash that like button. Yeah, um, for all of the questions and queries, concerns, anything you want to talk about, email us at theologyish at gmail.com. And, you know, I, I, I'm serious. If you if you send us an email at theologyish at gmail.com and you're like, hey, this is something you said in the, the episode about atheists, and I, I'd really like to hear more about that, or um, I think you're wrong, and here's why, um, I will respond, and I'm not just going to respond by one word. Heretic. <laughs> just send that. <laughs> You're stupid. <laughs> that be the response. No, um, I, I will actually try to give you a, a good faith response, provided that it's a good faith question. So, yeah, there you go. So, thank you for listening, and we will see you guys next week with another episode. Alright, later. See ya.